You're listening to Get Real KC with Jen and Eric. Kansas City's consumer-facing real estate podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Get Real KC, where we are overflowing with a passion for all things real estate. I'm Eric Jurgensen. And I'm Jen Justice. And today we're excited to share with you the fifth and final installment of our home selling series, From Contract to Close. Previously, we talked about money. It was show me the money. It was all about money. This one is about now we've got a contract. What are we going to do? And let's get all the way to the closing table where we'll actually eventually see that money in our bank account. And we're going to pass some keys and sign some documents, friends. All right. Let's jump right in because we got a lot of stuff to cover. So when this happens, you're going to get a, uh, an offer and or multiple offers. Now, this doesn't work out by somebody calling you up and going, hey, I'll give you $275,000 for your house. Uh, or pass a note in school, you actually get a contract. Right? So it's a written, formal, legal contract. Legally binding agreement. So, uh, and there might be multiple uh, documents that are part of that contract. They'll be laid out in the contract. Uh, Called amendments or addendums, addendums in the real estate world. Right. So seller's disclosures will be signed by everyone. The one that you've provided, we talked about in a previous podcast. Uh, possibly some other things that your agent has put together for you, uh, maybe a lead-based paint disclosure, depending on how old your home is, et cetera, et cetera. But these will actually uh, be attached to and signed by the people who are making the offer. Um, and in our area, there is a set of our, our local real estate organization, Kansas City um, Real Estate uh, Kansas City Regional, Regional Association Regional. of Realtors, KCRR, does have a forms oh, library God. that they use. What, and, whatever uh, that organization is that I belong to that do great work, whatever their name is. Yeah. Uh, so they have a whole library of, of the most common documents that are used in real estate. And here in the Kansas City area, you most likely should be expecting those. Even the, the really big nat- brokerages that have huge teams that have branded in themselves, they tend to, stand, stand to use the same exact document. Yeah, they might have like a franchise agreement or something to go with it. Our, our team and our firm operates under a boutique style, so we don't have those franchise addendums or any of that. However, that is a common form, and you're right, uh, some of the bigger bigger box brokerages, if you will. And we should we should mention, since we're talking about legal forms right out of the gate, that realtors are not lawyers right. and cannot provide legal advice. And if you have any questions, you can always consult an attorney. Right. And that's one of the things, because a lot of uh, builders in this area do have their own uh, contracts, as well as even some flippers or modelers or, or something. So right. if there is not a standardized contract, make sure you're taking a good look at that and having legal counsel look that over. Uh, that way you're not getting yourself into a, a bind with your legally binding agreement, right? Because the forms have been vetted by many realtors in this area and also the association's attorney. We have an attorney there that helps us with the different forms and stuff. So they have been vetted by multiple sources there. But if there's a contract that you're not familiar with, and it doesn't say KCIR, for example, or it doesn't come from, you know, your realtor, you probably want to look into that a little deeper and what that verbiage is, because your standard contract's going to go over things like purchase price, earnest money, amount to be financed. We're going to talk about closing and possession being in that contract, home inspections, appraisals, some very, you know, title work. These are all things that are part of the contract. And you want to make sure that these things are still being covered and so that the transaction is still fair to both parties. 
So let's talk about some of those variables that you should be considering. So I'm going to, the easy one, the one-liner, money, how much are they offering? Uh, remember that people can ask for uh, seller paid closing costs. So you really need to look at what the net value is or the net offer is. Um, there's some other things, though, and, and you just mentioned a litany of them. And depending on your position as a seller, which ones of these are important to you and then which ones are important uh, to what level compared to more or less money? For example, uh, a closing date that works with when you want to vacate the house. Yeah, and right now, you know, you've got this strong seller's market. So if you're a seller and you really don't want to move for 45 or 60 days or whatever the case may be, that would be something that would be identified in the contract as well as the other thing I'm seeing in this market that's not been as customary is longer times for the seller to stay in the house and possession time to be significantly later than it used to be. It used to be kind of 24, 48 hours, maybe if you got it, depending on you know the strength of the buyer's market, right? Because we used to have a buyer's market years ago where we had the foreclosure disaster, et cetera. Well, now we're in a seller's market and the seller may say, I want that seven days for free. And you might just comply as a buyer because you want the house that bad. Right. And just as a reminder, because I know we've talked about it in uh, earlier in the Home Seller Series, but closing and possession don't necessarily have to happen at the same time. Nope. So a seller might go, hey, I want to close on Friday and so we can get all of our money and uh, I can start putting stuff towards my next house or whatever, but I don't want to move out until Sunday. And that was occasionally happened prior to this market. But now, as you're saying, yeah, it could be, I don't want to move out till next week. Yeah, we just need to look for a win-win in, in all facets of this. So something that the buyer can live with that helps the seller and so forth and so on. Because we want to see that, that compromise, that communication going on. Because frequently, um, we had seen litigious issues over possession, right? Especially when it was same day. Right. There was a real challenge there. And so there was some real issues over closing and possession. So... You know, just one of the things we, we cover in the contract, correct? Right. So, all right. So I've got this offer. Uh, I generally uh, like the offer, but maybe there's something I want to change on it. Um, uh, I want to change the closing date a little bit, or I want to change possession, or something along those lines. And so we're in this, the, the period of negotiation. So let's talk about uh, negotiation and what you can expect from your real estate agent um, and, and sort of how that works. And when we're still in the negotiation phase, if you will, we're using a counter offer addendum typically in those early times where we're changing, you know, whether it's sales price, whether it's possession, whether it's the terms and conditions. There's forms uh, or not forms, but lines for all of that on this particular counter offer addendum as it's frequently referred to and called. But if we're later on in that transaction, then we would do a m amendment to contract, which would be just kind of spelling out exactly what it is that you're changing, whether that's closing will be extended to on or before you know, June 30th, for example, if it was May 30th, just an example. Now, if there is a lot of back and forth, right, uh, you offer this much, I counter with this much, you counter back with this much, I counter with this much, you're thinking to yourself, you might right now be going, oh my gosh, that's a lot of paperwork. A good buyer's agent will have called your agent, the listing agent, and after that's happened once or twice, or sometimes even before it happens at all, they 
they do non-binding negotiations where they negotiate verbally representing their clients. Nothing is binding until the paper is done, but it saves a ton of paperwork and a ton of time. So don't be surprised if that could happen in your deal as well. Right. In this market, we're seeing a lot of highest and best. So you may submit an offer and then you know, have your end offer be higher than what you originally offered because of an escalation clause or whatever the case may be in this market. But absolutely, we want communication to be an open, flowing line in all aspects because it just makes it better for all parties involved. I think it's important to recognize here that this is one of the areas that your good real estate agent, your good realtor is going to do for you in this negotiation period. And there's some things that a professional is going to be able to do that frequently the home seller uh, or, or even the home buyer, and the pre, you know, but a home seller is not going to be able to do for you. So let's talk about some of those that you can expect from your realtor. Uh, the first is, is, is they're not going to be anywhere near as emotional um, as some homeowners are because they're so emotionally vested in, in the history of that home. Well, and depending on what it is, I mean, think about the situation where you've raised your children in this home or um, whatever is, you know, you saw Susie graduate from high school last week, and it's just very charged emotionally. Home is one of those pieces like that. And so your realtor can come in and kind of level out that playing field and we're just talking numbers. We're just talking dates. And, you know, yes, we understand and we're compassionate to all of those things that are going on. But we also want to make sure that you're taking that out of uh, part of some of that decision making because, let's face it, emotionally charged decisions sometimes aren't always the best I, I one. Mean, and when we take a step back and, <laughs> and bounce it off of someone else, you know, we get to what is actually the best case scenario for all parties involved. Right. It's, it's why doctors don't operate on their own family. Right. I mean, you, you've, you've got to be able to have some emotional separation and that emotional separation. And that's not that's not um, downplaying or not being aware of the emotions involved, but it's being able to um, step back and give you a different perspective or maybe help you see the big picture in the moment when the moment is very charged. I can't believe that they think I would sell this house for $7,000 less than I told them, you know, and you can just say, hey, take a deep breath. You know, we're just they're just we're just working numbers. This uh, doesn't feel like that. I understand that. But yeah. the reality is, is that, you know, on the other side, it's a buyer's job to ask and it's a seller's job if they don't like it to say no. It's nothing personal. It's just a negotiation. And, right. you know, frequently in this market, you're getting to decide uh, how high is it? Can can my house actually I've had uh, recent times where the seller's don't think their house is worth that much, which yeah. is is interesting. It's like we you would it. think that they would really have a high value on their home, but in fact, they're like, I can't even believe this. I'm not sure if I should take this because I'm not sure it's worth this much. Like, this is concerning. And it's a very interesting dynamic that we're seeing right now. Um, but, the, you know, that's where a good realtor comes in and says, okay, this is what we're going to do. This is why we're going to be protected against this, or this is why we wouldn't be protected against this. And these are the risks. These are the pros. These are the cons. Let's weigh it out, and then let's make a decision on that. Right. And, and, and I think it's important to note that when somebody doesn't immediately accept what you suggest, this is not adversarialness. They're not necessarily thinking you're bad or wrong. This is a negotiation. And just having the right realtor, information is power here, right? Uh, getting information about the offer, understanding it, this is all powerful. And good realtors will work towards a win-win, that everybody is as happy as they can be. Uh, and that, so that's really what you're looking for. But your uh, trusted realtor is going to be able to negotiate from a position with less emotion and a lot of experience. So that's one of the big things they bring to the table. 
Now we did. You did mention multiple offers. Multiple offers are are um, not only commonplace. There, it's in the last ten months. It's probably rare that a that a property doesn't get multiple offers. Uh, there's three general ways to handle multiple offers when we talk about big picture. So uh, essentially, is they can come in. You can go. Yep, I like this one. It's the best. Maybe that's the highest dollar, which is frequently the best. But sometimes it's it meets my uh, closing date or my possession requirement or whatever it is. Um, then you can auctioneer, and that's essentially asking your agent to go. Hey, I've got an offer over here for a hundred dollars. You know, for a thousand dollars more, would you beat it? And they'll go, Yeah, I'll go a thousand. Then they call up the next people, and they go, Hey, they counted your offer. So it's some. You're version. not going to be popular in the real estate community probably yeah. if you're trying to auction houses. There are actually auction services, although interestingly enough, that's not what we've been seeing a lot of in our market here in the Midwest. There's there's different parts of the world where every house is sold via auction, but there is risk to asking your agent to play some version of auctioneer, to play one off the other over a period of time, because typically Americans find that distasteful. And so um, we're not a big bartering society and they get uncomfortable. So probably the most common, the third way to handle multiple uh, offers that's happening now is to set a deadline and call for best and final. Give us your best offer period. Um, And so that's probably the most common way it's been ha- handling now. Yes, it's a grueling period for buyers in this it because is. typically that's going to be 48 hours. I've seen I've seen it be a week before, you know, and that's difficult as a buyer in this market, highest and best a week later um, to have them wait because essentially for the buyer this is a little bit of a time where they may or may not be able to make another offer. I mean, right. I guess they could withdraw their offer. Right you know, in that period of time. But that's tough as a seller, too, I think, to allow your home to be shown at the mass quantities of seven days in this crazy market. Because let's face it, it's opening. I've called it before. It's a zoo. You've got people coming and going and, you know, lined up down the street. And it's 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 a very popular exhibit at the zoo. It's not just a zoo. It's worse than that. (laughs) It's popular. That's right. Especially under 300,000 in this market. That is creeping up. But in our area, if your house is 300,000 or under, you've probably got some craziness to ensue as a seller because you might want to stay gone for the weekend you list your house. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So, All right, so we've we've gone through, we've picked the right offer, and now we have an offer and we've agreed to the contract. Uh, what's going to happen next is most likely uh, is going to be an inspection. So from a seller's perspective, what does this mean? Well, first of all, they'll, the, the, your agent will coordinate with the buyer's agent to set an appointment time. Uh, uh, an inspection takes... Eh, typically three to five hours on the normal house in Kansas City. Um, and during that time, a home inspector will go through everything. They're not, obviously not going to open your dresser drawers, but they're going to get They up, better not. They're going to get up into your attic. They're going to go into your closet. They're going to check the outlets. They're, they're going to do uh, some due diligence on gonna that. They're going to run your dishwasher. They're going to run water on all the, you know, et cetera, et cetera. They're going to touch everything. So be prepared for that. Now, typically, most commonly, uh, sellers leave and leave the house to the inspector frequently. Like in our case, I'm unless I just have a scheduling conflict I can't get out of, which hasn't happened yet, I am always at the inspection. So frequently your buyer's agent will be there. And then more often than not, the buyers themselves will be there, sometimes for the entire length of the inspection. Uh, and that is great for them because, number one, they get uh, feedback from the inspector uh, live and in real time. But number two, I encourage my clients to come, and this is when I encourage them to do longer measurements 
you know, I want to see if my um, china closet will fit here or if my, you know, queen size bed will fit in this room or whatever it is. And even like in this market where there are some buyers that are waiving inspections, a lot of people are still doing inspections for knowledge only, which is a great practice, even if they're waiving it. That way they just know what they're getting into in a home, period, which is probably their largest financial asset. I know we say that a lot, but I think people sometimes just take that lightly. In the industry, it's like you need to give this special care. And and as a buyer, I would still encourage you to go ahead and fully check out that home, even if you've waived your inspections. It's just getting in there, like you said, doing measurements or, or whatever the case is, and just getting familiar with the place you're going to call home. As a seller, post-inspection, and inspections typically have, I think the default on our contracts is, is that they'll happen within 10 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, people can shorten that. They can lengthen it under certain circumstances. I mean, whatever you guys agree to in the contract. Um, after that inspection period, early on in the in the post-contract process, um, there is the potential for a buyer to tell you that they believe certain conditions are unacceptable and they would like to renegotiate or they would like to walk away from the deal. So be aware that that can and does happen. Again, it's less prevalent, you know, in 2021, but um, it it certainly happens even in this market. Yeah, so that would be a resolution of unacceptable conditions and an inspection notice. We would have those forms. And honestly, we'll usually have the inspection notice regardless whether we're waiving inspections or whatever. And then another addendum, which goes with the contract sometimes, is called in its present condition addendum, which has three different boxes that you can pick from. Uh, on that. So these are all pieces of the contract for both the seller and the buyer that get you from contract to close. Now, um, the next thing that's going to happen after they come in and inspect your house is an appraisal. Now, an appraisal will typically be ordered by the buyer's lending institution, and an appraiser will come to the house. Now, this the buyer's agent won't be present for the buyers themselves won't be present for, you don't have- May or may not be. I mean, I've been present. It just depends. It's not as common. And especially in this environment where we're just coming out of the COVID, it was very uncustomary for anyone to be around when the appraiser was going to be in there, if the appraiser was going in homes at that time. It just really depended on the comfort level of all parties involved. But, you know, I think we have gotten away from that a little bit where the buyer's agent was there with the appraiser to give them comps or to do any of those things. Um, It may still be necessary in in some cases and depending on access to the homes, et cetera. Matter of fact, uh, up north, there's a gated community area where you'll have to be present. The agent will have to be present to have that card to get somebody in. So it just depends on the circumstance and the situation that we're going into there. But barring any uh, COVID health restrictions, it's also not as, um, none of these are absolutes, but it's also not as sort of, you know, uh, common. It's okay to stay in the home when an appraiser comes, again, barring any COVID or whatever. Yeah, especially people that are working from home now. I can tell you in a handful, there have been People either, and even homeschooling was a thing where it was like later later in the pandemic, there was people that said, hey, I'm homeschooling my kids. It's going to be there 15, 20 minutes. It's okay if we stay. So sure, yeah, that's okay. Just work around there. So, so and then some loan types have appraisals that uh, are required that then stay with the house. Uh, for that same loan type for if that deal should fall through for a period of time. Yes, six months. So a lot of the uh, FHA and VA loans, some of the other government loans too, maybe USDA, once those appraisals are done, 
um, that appraisal will stay with that home for six months. So I don't know if that'll be the case going forward in this crazy market, but in the past, that has been the rule of thumb. So last sort of appointment kind of thing in your house that's going to happen after you've gone under contract is going to be a final walkthrough. So uh, it's probably, I always educate my clients on a final walkthrough, telling them like, what's the purpose? Because it's not to walk through and decide whether they've made a good decision or not. The decision was made some time ago. Uh, it was to confirm like if there's been some work that's come out of the inspection that the seller, you as the seller have agreed to do, they can uh, confirm that it's been completed. Uh, and also to check and make sure that there is no substantial change in condition of the house. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, I always say, and it's kind of a joke, you want to make sure the house hadn't burned down. Yeah. You know, you want to go over before you're signing those. I always like to go the hour before I head straight to the title company. That's honestly my preference is, you know, especially if they've moved or if they haven't moved sometimes in this market, like we said, there is a longer possession time, but I like to go right before I close just to see what's going on. What's, you know, and then head straight to the title company and sign the documents. I encourage a lot of my buyers to do a similar thing. Although sometimes it's got to be the day before due to work or scheduling conflicts, but you know, that's just my personal preference and how I do it when I'm closing on property. So there's all kinds of ways yeah, to do it, but I'm, yeah, I think I do a day before a lot the day before, particularly if they're out, if they're already out, because, um, but uh, yeah, more than that is, um, is not what I like, because particularly if they're in the process of moving out, then I like to see it empty, to see the scuff marks that are left and everything, and just make sure there's no, no big deal. Um, and, and once that's done, then we're, we're at close. Now, what we didn't mention is, is that there's a part of the closing process with the title company that would have happened shortly after we went under contract, uh, which is, of course, uh, providing some of your mortgage documentation to the title company. Yeah, and as a seller, we've prepped you about this in earlier podcasts, but we want to have all of those documents together, our mortgage documents, if we have a loan on the property. Definitely going to need to go to the title company to get your payoff because you certainly do not want to carry that mortgage with you to another home. That's you want right. it paid off and you want a release and you want the pride and joy of knowing that you've paid off that home. And whether you're moving to a new home or whatever, that's going to be one of the requirements. And the title company is typically the fiduciary that helps you out with that. So you get a hold of the title agent early and get that information over and it just makes that process a little more streamlined. So to, to take the, the big words out of that and to make it really right. So here's what happens. You provide the mortgage information to the title company. Title company will ask for it or your realtor will ask for it uh, for the title company. And um, that documentation, when the title company hands handles all the transfers of funds. So when the buyer's funds come in, they pay off the mortgage. And the most important thing, or not the most important thing, probably, but an important thing. One of the many, many important, things important things. Is that they will get a release, right? They, so they will deal with that for you so that that title, that encumbrance on the property is released and out of your name and done. And so they'll take care of that for you before they send you your money, uh, which is the net result of that. Yeah. And as a seller, you know, one of the things with the title company, you can schedule that closing very early on in the process. For example, I had a property that went under contract in, uh, 
early May, and they have already scheduled their closing date for June 1st on both the seller's side and the buyer's side. So if you want to get that on the books, you can call, you can get that scheduled. Um, one of these particular sellers is out of town, so they can close remotely. Right now, you know, we're still doing some overnighting of documents, but there are some options for remote or e-notary, as it was approved in Missouri in this last legislative session, or actually last year during the COVID legislative session. But there's some options so that a seller does not physically have to go into the property if they're either unable or not there. So lots of options for you as a seller and how to close it. It doesn't take very long to sign your closing documents. And then you are closed. You can usually get your money wired into your account, or you can get a check, a good old-fashioned check if you want it. (laughs) Um, uh, Typically, if you're in town, um, you're going to close. I recommend that they close at least the day before. Uh, just so that they're not dealing with the time stress and everything that buyers are dealing with. But you can do it frequently several days before, sometimes even up to five. Uh, And then, you know, I just closed one last week where one of the sellers, one of the buyers actually, in this case, was out of town. Uh, But yeah, so just like a seller can do a remote, so can a a buyer. So um, you do that uh, with your title company. As Jen mentioned, they're the fiduciary. They have the uh, legal responsibility to get all of this done for you and act in, in, in the transaction's behalf for a title company's perspective. Um, uh, the seller does not have to use the same title company. I mean, the buyer. The buyer does not have to use the same title company that you use. It's okay if they close with a different title company. The title companies are very used to that, and they coordinate. Um Two things then are left to happen, and, and one is is to hand over the keys, uh, and the other is is to get paid. Uh, so let's talk about handing over the keys first, because this is strange. I, I, when I first got into real estate, which is not that long ago, just a few years, a couple years ago, um, I, I always felt it was weird, and, and I've had some very strange conversations with realtors about um, them not thinking about when was, when are my buyers going to get keys. We've already negotiated when they're going to possess. Uh, and, and from a buyer's perspective, a lot of my buyers want to possess right away. So I try to negotiate that they get it when they close, uh, which is even before funding. And uh, then I'm like, okay, well, how are we going to deal with the keys? And the listing agents don't think about it. Uh, so here's a common way that your agent might deal with it is during that final walkthrough, they'll frequently have their lockbox still on the home. Um, and then they'll tell the buyer's agent to go ahead and take the key from the lockbox if they need to give it to them at close. And then uh, leaving it in the realtor's hands, who's a lot more invested and has a lot more significant penalties if they give over possession when they're not supposed to, is pretty safe. And again, I like to, whenever we get it negotiated properly, to be able to sit at the closing table with my buyers and hand them the keys. Um, And that's usually just a single key to the front door. Uh, And then all the other keys and all the other, um, uh, you know, the mailbox key, the garage remotes and all of that. you put in a drawer or something like that. And you tell or a big box. Right. I frequently see sellers leave a big box of all of this great stuff that they've given us with the home. So it just depends on, right, on what, a but lot yeah. Of, yeah. As a seller, it's a, it's a appropriate to leave uh, the extra paint and a few tile pieces and instruction manuals and all that, right? Good sellers have all that laid out. They want somebody to enjoy the home. So that's definitely where all that would come from. The last thing, right, which sort of ties into our last episode, right, which is where is my money? And this is funding which is different than closing and different than possession. 
So walk us through how funding typically happens. Well, depending on whether it's your buyer bringing cash to the table, and that would be one exception on that title company, Eric, is when you've got a cash transaction, it is a single title company that does those cash transactions that can be agreed upon by both parties at that point. But uh, when we're waiting on funding, typically the lender sends the funds to the title company. The title company then disperses. So obviously earlier in the day is sometimes better than later in the day if you are subject to that funding premise. Uh, But that just happens through the title company usually wiring that money around. Like I said, a lot of times you can get a good old-fashioned check if you want it. But as a seller, you provide that information where you would like that money funded. And if you're buying another home, the title company is typically the one that routes all those funds around too. If you're using part of your sales proceeds to fund your next home, the title company is frequently the one that will help you get all those ABC dots in order and connected up so that all of your funds are going to the proper place at the proper time. So, If the buyer is not going to the closing table until the afternoon of the closing date because of the limitations and the restrictions on when wires happen, et cetera, which is the typical way money moves in today's real estate market, you probably aren't going to see the money until the next day or the following Monday if it's over a weekend. So be aware of that um, if um, that funding is important for it to hit your bank account. You will not have that problem so much. I mean, it still won't hit somebody's bank account, but if it's being used or the majority of it's being used to, to do another house in a contingent deal. Yeah, it's just important to understand all the facets and especially in new home construction, Builders are very dependent on funding. Uh, They don't release possession of those. And and frequently the builder will be the one providing the keys once they actually have checked that little box that it is funded. And that's really important if you're closing it Friday afternoon at 4 p.m. and you're buying a new construction home. You Honestly, there are some entities that have gone to no Friday closings because of that. So you just want to be aware of those factors in funding and how that pertains to your transaction as a seller or as a buyer, quite frankly, and make sure that you understand it and the communication is flowing fluidly. Yep, I agree. I, I, I Understanding when possession is being given over and when funding is likely to happen because we don't have finite control over that, I think it's critical because you're down to this last, it's all done. But if you're relying on that for that day, it's really important that you get that timed out properly and a good agent will walk you through that. Exactly. All right. Well, I mean, we've done it. We've we've gone all the way from contract to close and even a little bit after where there's some money in the bank. So there you have it. That is the fifth and final episode of our Home Seller Series. We hope you enjoyed it. Don't forget to check out our other podcasts available on our website or wherever you like to listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, everybody. That's it for this episode of Get Real KC. Until next time. You have been listening to Get Real KC with Eric Jurgensen and Jen Justice. For more information or to contact our hosts, Visit us at dreamhomesbygen.com where you can find more episodes exploring real estate as it matters to you.